God, I thank you that we have the privilege of being people that can carry fire from your presence into the world that we live in. Aren't you grateful that you get to live a life where you carry something of the brightness, goodness, and fire of God beyond church and into the place where you live and work? Aren't you grateful that God has a design and a plan for your life to make you an emissary, to make you one who carries his goodness and blessing? Do you believe that? Or do you believe all God wants is for you to just go to church and that's it? I think God wants you to come and allow this to be like a, a place where from his altar you gather up some of the coals, some of the warmth, some of the goodness, some of the fire of his presence, and then you carry that. You carry it into the classroom where you're a teacher. You carry it into the hospital where you work. You carry it into the offices where you're doing negotiations. You carry it out to the meetings with clients. You carry it out to the job site, and people rub up against you, and they find something of the warmth and the presence of God. And they find the goodness of God coming through you because you've spent some time at the altar where you've become one who is carrying the fire of his presence. And I'm grateful that God is willing to do that, wanting to do that with each one of us. I'm glad you're here today. Why don't you take a minute and uh, high five a couple people, say hello to somebody while you find your seat. Well, hey, welcome everyone. I'm glad you're here. And if you're new with us at Centerpoint, my name is John. I'm lead pastor here and glad you're our guest. We're about loving and leading people to a life-changing connection with Christ. And I'm praying for you that you, you step into the reality of the life-changing connection with Christ today. And uh, this is the third week in a series called Encounters. And we're discovering together, just through God's word, how powerful it can be uh, when, when, we, when we go beyond settling for just kind of mere religious enterprise and step into uh, a, an encounter with God that can change us. So we're going to spend a little bit of time today in Genesis. So I want you to open up your Bible or your Bible app to Genesis, go back to the beginning. And I've been reading through the Bible in a one-year Bible plan, and so that means in the last month and a half, I've spent a whole lot of time reading in Genesis. And uh, in, in Genesis, what you find is the story unfolds of the patriarchs of God's chosen people. And when you hear something like that, patriarchs of God's chosen people, I wonder what comes to mind for you. I mean, I wonder if maybe when you hear about the patriarchs of God's chosen people, maybe what comes to mind is, wow, if they're patriarchs of God's chosen people, maybe they must be like super spiritual awesomeness in a person, you know? Maybe they're perfect wonders of creation, except then you, you actually read the Bible and you discover, well, that's not exactly the case. You find people like Abraham that... Uh, or saying, uh, to, saying to his wife, hey, hey, go, go over there and, and tell him you're my sister because then we'll get a better deal over here. You, know? <laughs> and you find that uh, what you might have thought patriarchs of God's chosen people was going to mean, uh, it's, it's not all that. And, and in the big picture, what you see is that God is willing to work with people who are far from perfect, who aren't doing it all right, who are making some kind of lousy choices sometimes, who are struggling in different kinds of ways, but nevertheless, God is saying, yeah, but I'll still work through you. I still choose you. You'll still be my chosen people. You'll still be called by my very name. I'm, I'm grateful, aren't you? Come on, thank you. Whoever, one brother right over here let me know that he was grateful that God's willing to do like that. <laughs> I thought maybe somebody else might have said amen, so 
Oh, that was your chance, and I only got one sister in the back. Everyone else, we got a brother and a sister who are ready for church today, but nobody else. Come on, somebody say amen. God is willing to work with what we might discount, you know? I mean, that's just a big picture what you see in Genesis. And then, and then in particular, we call God God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is one of the ways that throughout Scripture he's referred to, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob is one of these patriarchs who, like we've already established, is far from perfect. In fact, when you start getting into the life of Jacob, you recognize just how imperfect it is. I mean, he's born with a, a, a twin brother named Esau. And it just so happens that Esau came out first, and Jacob was, was right on the heels of Esau, and literally grabbing the heel of Esau, and so they named him Jacob, because it means something like grabber in the original language. And, uh, and so from the very beginning, that's kind of his nature. He's just grabbing after stuff, and, and he's a, a, a young man, and... Uh, his brother Esau is out in the, in the countryside hunting and, 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 and doing all that stuff. And he's hanging out back at home in the kitchen with his mom. And the Bible even said he was a mama's boy. I don't know. But he was there and, and uh, Esau comes in and he says, I'm starving to death. Give me something to eat. And Jacob says, all right, but you got to give me your firstborn birthright blessing. And then I'll give you this bowl of red stew. And, <laughs> and, and so Esau, he probably doesn't even think Jacob really means it. So he says, ah, fine, whatever, I agree, I agree, just give me the stew. And lo and behold, Jacob got the firstborn birthright blessing through this little trickster negotiation tactic, tactic he had going on. Uh, 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 fast forward down uh, a, a couple of decades, and their father Isaac was on his deathbed, and Isaac is, is dying, he's an old man, he's about to breathe his last, but he, he wants to confer his final fatherly blessing over his firstborn son. And that should be Esau. Jacob starts going, hmm, I'm going to get that blessing any which way I can. Mom, what do I do? And his mom's like, ooh, I know what you do. I mean, his mom's even in on the trickster action at this point. And, the, and they make this little plan. Go into your father and, and, hey, actually, let's even put some goat skin on your hands so that when your father touches you, he'll feel the hair and he'll really think it's Esau. <laughs> I mean, this is Jacob and his mom. These are the, the peop God's chosen people, patriarchs, right? And, and uh, the father asks the question. When, when Jacob goes into the room, he says, who are you? What is your name? And he says, uh, my name, I mean, my name is Esau. <laughs> and, and he's lying to his dying father. I mean, so much for being perfect, chosen people, right? But he's lying to his father on his deathbed. I'm, I'm, I'm Esau. <laughs> and then his, the father puts his hands out and says, all right, well, then I confer on you, you know, the blessing of the firstborn. And, and right when he's pronouncing the blessing, saying things like, and your, uh, older your younger brother will serve you all the days of your life, uh, right then Esau comes in. And Esau is going, what just happened? That's mine. What are you doing? <laughs> and, and it happens. And so right from that moment, Jacob and Esau, where there's already been some tension, now it's off the charts. And Jacob knows he's got to get out of there. He's in trouble with his brother. And so he just runs. He just runs away from all his troubles with his brother Esau. And he runs to his uncle Laban. And he's with his uncle Laban. And, and he marries the, the, the daughter. He, he ends up actually marrying two of the women and having lots of kids. And some of his kids are not from the two women that he's married to. How's that for some drama? You thought you had it bad. Then you read the Bible and you're like, 
like, whoa. And, and so he's got, uh, you know, lots of kids and wives, and he ends up becoming kind of wealthy over there. But then he has trouble with his father-in-law. And out of the trouble with his father-in-law, he just begins to decide, I have to get out of here, too. I got to run away. I got to get away from all this, and just runs away. And as he's running away, he remembers, oh, man, I'm in trouble. I got to go through Esau's territory if I'm going to get away. And they, they camp out at night, and, and he's, you know, he, he's camping out, but he's also freaking out because he knows that Esau's got it out for him, and he's right in Esau's territory. And even though they're camping in the middle of the night, in the middle of the night, he gets everybody up, and he says, get up, we're going, we got to move camp, because he's so afraid, he's so afraid. And that's kind of the backstory to what we're about to read. I just wanted to make sure you understood a little bit of the context for Genesis 32, which is where we'll be. Genesis 32, verse 22. It says this, it says, so that night Jacob got up and took his two wives and his two female servants and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And after he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go, it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. And then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it's because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. And then the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. I don't eat tendon attached to the socket of the hip either, but just because I think it sounds gross. But that's another reason, too, this one. You know, this, this passage of Scripture, it... Uh, it is a, a powerful moment of encounter with God. But, but we don't actually recognize that that's what it is until the end of the, the passage. You don't find out till verse 30 that this man who appears to wrestle with Jacob is actually a physical manifestation of the very presence of God. You find that out at the end in verse 30. And I guess big picture, here's the observation I would want to make, is that sometimes encounters with God are like that. You don't necessarily know right in the middle of it or right at the beginning of it that this is an encounter with God. Sometimes you don't know till the verse 30 moment in your life. That was God. God was at work. God was there. And that's what's happening in this moment. There's this powerful encounter with God that changes Jacob. We see it, but we got to dive into it a little bit, understand it a little bit together. All his life, Jacob had been on a quest to get the blessing the blessing, and he would get it any which way he could, whether it took some lying, cheating, deceiving, whatever, he would do it, he just wanted to get this blessing, and technically, he did get the birthright blessing of the firstborn son, technically, he did get that, but he was not living in blessing, what he was living in was fear, he's living in fear for what, what he did to Esau, now he's living in fear of Tension, drama, what happened with Laban, and he's just running from it all. I mean, that's his life, running in fear. But our loving God, 
does not want any of his kids living their lives running in fear. And so God shows up right in the middle of his running to wrestle with him. <laughs> and it's like as though God is there to say, I'm going to wrestle this fear right out of you, Jacob, because that's not what I've made you for. I haven't made any of my kids to be living their lives running in fear, so let's go. Let's deal with this right here and right now. That's kind of what's going on behind the scenes in this moment, and it's powerful. It, it's, it's awesome. It's, it's beautiful. But he's coming from a place of struggle coming from a place of struggle with Laban. He had thought, you know, my blessing is going to come with getting these daughters of Laban, R Rachel, Leah. That's going to be, my blessing is that, you know, and everything with Laban. It's a struggle there, though, and he's coming from that struggle. He's on his way to another struggle, a struggle with Esau, his brother. He thought that blessing was going to come from getting everything uh, just right from, from Esau. And, and, and God is, in a sense, saying, you thought that your struggle was with Laban, you thought your struggle was with Esau, but it's not. Your struggle is with me, Jacob. If you were on a quest for blessing, then your struggle is with me. And he comes and he wrestles with him in that moment as if to say, this is the reality, Jacob. It's not even about Laban. It's not even about Esau. It's about who you are in relation to me. Let's go. Let's deal with that question. That's the pivotal question for any one of us. For whatever life we would want to live, whatever tensions we're coming from and might be heading towards, what God is after is you and I recognizing who we are in terms of our relationship to him. And he's willing to wrestle with us for it. And this is what we see happening in this moment. He wants the blessing, but God is saying the blessing comes from me. You know, Jacob had thought, well, the blessing's gonna come from what I can get from Esau. The blessing's gonna come from what I could get from, from Laban. But God is, in a sense, saying, no, blessing comes from me. And I think this isn't just about Jacob anymore because I'm talking to you. I think maybe God is saying to some of us, look, your, your blessing isn't gonna come when you finally get that circumstance. Just right. Blessing isn't about when you finally have this relationship. Blessing isn't about whether you can get this many zeros in that account. Your blessing isn't going to come when that situation finally turns out the way you want it to. No, no, no. Your blessing comes from me, God says. Your connection with me. James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change. This is the source of blessing. God Almighty and our willingness to hold on to him, that's the source of blessing in our lives. Shout amen, somebody. There you are, church. I knew you came today. All right, back to verse 22. Just jump back into the text with me. It says, that night Jacob got up and he took his two wives and his two female servants, his 11 sons, and crossed the fort of the Jabbok. And after he sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip. So his hip was wrenched. As he wrestled with the man, the man said, let me go. It's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. This is the fight of the night right here. And it's, it, it's, a, it's a wrestling match. And we know from verse 30 that it is God. That, that one that's called the man that's wrestling with him, it's, it's God. A physical manifestation of God has come to meet Jacob right where he is, right in the middle of the tension, right in the middle of the struggle. God's right there, ready to go, toe-to-toe. -to -toe. It's a wrestling match all night. I remember being in middle school, and I was in a middle school wrestling team, 
And uh, I probably wrestled, wrestled at the 98-pound weight class, something like that, and three little two-minute periods, and I was toast. I was done. And this guy's wrestling all night with the physical manifestation of God. It's amazing. But you know what? It, it, it's, it's interesting what happens in this scenario. It says, that, it says that the man wrenched his hip. He got him. He got him in a very unique place. I remember being on that wrestling team, and uh, from time to time, Coach Warner would come in, and he was actually the football coach, but he would sometimes come in and, and give a little bit of coaching to us little middle school wrestlers, too. And, and Coach Warner came in one day and says, you guys want to wrestle? And he had this weird mouth twitch that I'll never forget. <laughs> like, you want to be strong? You want to know what your greatest source of strength is? You know, and, and then... And he was like old school football coach guy, right? And, and, and he said, there's two kinds of strength. One kind of strength is from leverage. And he you know, was teaching us how to put our limbs out and saying, you could get strong from leverage. But then he said, you want to know where your real strength is? Grab your gluteus maximus right now. But he didn't say gluteus maximus. He said other things that we don't say on Sunday. But so all us little middle schoolers were like, <laughs> you know, grabbing it, you know. And, and he said, that's your strength. Everybody say my strength is in my gluteus maximus, except it wasn't gluteus maximus. All us middle schoolers, my strength is in my, you know. And what he was really getting after was he wanted us to know that this part of us, this was where our greatest strength was, your, your hips, your, your, your glutes, right? It's all there. And, and he's teaching us then, you could turn a guy if you could recognize how much strength you have right here, this part of you, that's where your strength is. And it's interesting to me, thinking about that, you know, this moment of the wrestling match in the night, the fight of the night, where, where, where God wrenches his hip. He gets him in what's probably one of his greatest places of strength. And you know what? It seems to me that sometimes God needs to do that. He needs to, needs to break us where we believe we're strong. Because what God is ultimately after is, is us knowing that our greatest strength is actually in our connection with him, the living God. More so than in whatever we think is our own strength, ourself. And what I find that God needs to sometimes do is break us before he can bless us. And this is what I feel like God was doing with Jacob in this moment. He's breaking him in a place where he's strong because God wants to bless Jacob. We know this. I mean, in Genesis 28... Before this moment, God had shown up in another moment and gave Jacob a vision and showed him, I'm giving you the whole promised land. You're going to have all your descendants for ages. They're going to grow here, and I'm going to protect you, and I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to prosper you. I mean, God made it known. I want to bless you, Jacob. I I want to do this. But before before I can bless you fully, I've got to break you. I've got to break from you this spirit of self reliance where you think it's all going to be about what you can pull off. I've got to break off of you this spirit of fear. I've got to break off of you this tendency to just run away from every problem. I've got to break off of you this tendency to avoid the conflict that you actually need to deal with to make the relationships right. I've got to break off of you this trickster persona that leads you to deceive and connive to get what you want. And, and God needs to break things off of us too. You know, God wants to lead Jacob into his destiny. But before God can lead Jacob into his destiny, he's got to refine his identity. And, and for some of us, in some of the hard places in life, that just may be one of the things God is at work to do. To break off of us 
false senses of identity that really have nothing to do with how God sees us. To break us free from our own tendencies to rely on nothing but ourselves to make it happen. When really God is the one who is lending his strength to us. And this is, this is what I've experienced in my own life. I don't know about you. I don't know if you've seen this happen. But I know that for me, uh, in my story, back in the day, I, I was... Uh, I was a kid who was into, you know, doing plays and musicals, stuff like that, and thought of myself as a, as a you know, theater guy or whatever. And in high school, I went to a high school performing arts for junior year and, high, and, uh, and senior year. And, and so every single day of my life for those two years, it was all about theater and drama and all that stuff. And during that time, I'm, you know, I'm deepening a sense within myself of this is who I am. I'm an actor, I'm a drama guy. I'm you know, auditioning for TV shows and commercials and even landing a few little ones and, and, and just going deeper and deeper into this sense of this is who I am, this is what I'm about to the deepest part of me. I went to college at Rutgers University, but I didn't go for the university. I went to specifically enroll in the Mason Gross School of the Arts, which was uh, uh, you know, for, for acting. <laughs> I, I was in a BFA program, Bachelor of Fine Arts in Acting. That's what it was all about. And so, again, week after week, month after month, year after year, this is my sense of my identity. I'm an actor. I'm a theater guy. I'm an auditioning for films and TV. I've been theater troops. And it's, it's, it's all of who I am. After the first year, uh, at the end of the year, they, they cut people from the program because they want to retain a sense of prestige. And so at the end of the year, when it's all done, that last day, you go up to this one bulletin board and they put a letter for all of the students. And I went up there and with a smug attitude, I'm like, give me my letter. I got it and said, we are pleased to inform you. And I didn't even need to read the rest of the letter because, of course, because I'm an actor, you know. And the, the second year, at the end of that second year, now it's like you know, six years of this is who I am. I, I go up to that hallway the last day of classes and I look at all the letters and I, I, I see that a bunch of the letters have been taken and I'm feeling so sorry for those sappy losers who got cut, you know. And I grab my letter and I read it, open it up, and, and I read it. It says, we regret, to, we regret to inform you that we are unable to invite you back to the Mason Gross School of the Arts. That was what it was typed in the letter. But what I read, what I heard when I read that letter was something like this. You are worthless. You have no value. You suck. You're a loser. Your life's never going to amount to anything. You're going to go down the tubes. You're a piece of trash. Give up now. I mean, that's what I heard. It wasn't what they typed. That's what I heard, for sure. And I, I, tears streaming down my face. I started just weeping, and I crumple up the letter, and I run out of the building and run across the field, and I run down this ravine where there was this uh, small little creek river flowing, and, and I saw the river, and I just began to dunk my head into the river over and over again. I don't know why, but it was dramatic, and I was a drama guy. So anyway, but I'm just by the riverside, like drenched with water, clouds are falling, you know, anyway, I'm, I'm crying, I'm weeping, and, and I'm laughing about it now because there's enough distance, you know, but, but in the moment, it, it was like everything about who I felt that I was that was on the inside of me was ripped out of me, and all I knew was, I, I'm, I guess I'm nothing, but what was actually happening, as painful as that was, and it's, it's painful, but God was at work behind the scenes, breaking me free from what I thought was my strength, 
breaking me free from false sense of identity that wasn't really how God saw me. And, and God was doing this. God was refining my identity so he could lead me into the destiny that he had for me rather than the one that I felt like I would choose for myself. This is God's goodness that he's willing to work in this way in our lives. It's not, it doesn't feel good when it happens, but it leads to good. It is one of the greatest gifts God can give us is to, is to allow us to experience some brokenness where we felt that we were making ourselves strong so that we could know real strength that comes from a source beyond ourselves. And Jacob, Jacob got, got in the hip, but he kept holding on. Verse 26, it says, the man said, let me go, it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. The man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you've struggled with God and with humans and have overcome this moment where he says, what is your name? I I wonder if maybe it took Jacob back to, to the moment where his dad was on the deathbed. Do you remember? We recounted that story. And the father on the deathbed is saying, who are you? And he says, I'm Esau. In that moment where he was living a lie, where he was acting out of his deceptive trickster tendencies instead of who God had made him to be. And, and I wonder if it took him back. And, and in this moment where, where God asks him, who are you? What is your name? I wonder if you can understand that there's there's meaning in this. It, it's not just about what are the syllables and letters and consonants of your name, but what, what are you about? What's your identity? What are you going to be known for? What kind of choices are you making and what are they leading up to? And what do you want your kids saying about you after you die? And what are the values that are resident within you that are showing up and coming to the surface? What's your name? And I think God's saying it to some of us today too. What are you really going to be about? Do you want to be about what you've been about for all these years? Is that really working? Is it what you want? Or or is is it time for you to acknowledge now what that's been about? And that you're ready for God to do a greater work in your life. Because he's willing to. What is your name? Jacob. And God says, no longer. Everything that you have been known for. Your deceptive tendencies. Your willingness to lie even. And cheat and steal to get what you wanted. I'm breaking you free from that. And no longer will you be called Jacob. From now on you are Israel. Everyone say Israel. You are Israel because you have struggled with God. And that's the meaning of the word Israel. Struggles with God. Struggled with God. Wrestled with God. And on on one hand, Israel is just simply the name of God's chosen people. The Jewish community. But at another level, Israel is a name that is an invitation for all of us. Because our highest Humanity shows up in our willingness to wrestle with God over what we need to wrestle with God about. And we got some stuff, don't we? That we're kind of wrestling with God or we need to wrestle with God over. But our lowest humanity is when we just say, nah, forget it, I don't even want to. We just, you know, just cover it over with like a four or five more of these and just call it good. But, but the highest and best of our human experiences, when we come close and we wrestle with God over the stuff we need to wrestle with, why is this happening this way? How come that went down in my life like that? God! And we wrestle with God over it. And God makes himself the perfect wrestling partner, doesn't he? 
He doesn't come into this moment with dominance and an overpowering, let me overwhelm you with my supersonic deity strength. No, he, he comes right in, same weight class. And he's willing to come right into the circumstances and struggles that we need to wrestle with him over too. But it's time to step in. Step into the match. Let it come. This, this moment, verse 29 continues. It says, Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask me my name? And then he blessed him there. Everyone just read that. Then he blessed him there. Wow, it happened so quickly. <laughs> I mean, Jacob has been on this quest for the father's blessing all his life. And it happens, and we don't even get to hear the words. What did he say? What was transferred? What was the content of it? We don't even get to know. And sometimes encounters with God are so personal that they defy transmission to another. Really, sometimes an encounter with God is so close, so per you can hardly even repeat it. He blessed him there. And maybe, maybe the blessing wasn't even about the words. Maybe it was about the closeness. Maybe it was about the encounter itself. Maybe it was about what Jacob said it was about, about just catching a sight of the face of God. Because that's what he says in verse 30. It says, so Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it's because I saw God face to face. Yeah, my life was spared. I saw God face to face. And, and really, uh, the point of an encounter with God is, is that is to just catch a glimpse of the face of God, the essence of who God is, and to experience your heavenly Father's closeness and, and the look of, 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 of his face. Maybe I'm speaking figuratively, but the sense of his closeness, the look of his face turning towards you. Maybe you can remember, if you had a good dad growing up, maybe you can relate to this. I remember growing up, uh, and, and you know, there'd be these moments that would happen where I would see my dad's face, and I would catch a, a glimpse of the look on his face when he was turning towards me. Maybe it's that moment when, when, when I made a, a great play in a game and looked over at the sidelines and saw the look on my father's face, that look with the smile and the eyes wide that said, I'm proud of you. I love you. I'm happy with you. I remember, uh, and it's maybe a, a, I don't know if it's a memory or just something that, that uh, it's a little foggy, but my dad said, get me a hammer. My dad was paralyzed from the waist down, so uh, things were very different. When he said, get me a hammer, I mean, it would take him 20 minutes to go over there and do that. And so he's asking, and so I go, and I, I, I get the hammer, I come back, and I, I bring it to him, and, and out of all the hammers that I could have picked, because there were a bunch I brought this one particular one, and he grabbed it from my hand, and his eyes lit up like this, and he smiled at me, and he said, that's perfect. And the way he looked at me at the, that moment, it, it's, it, it's emblazoned in me, like that look that said, I am proud of you. I'm happy with you. I love you. I enjoy you. I delight in you. That look from the Father. I remember being on a road trip with my family, uh, you know, a little bit older than that, but we went to Colorado, and my dad wanted uh, for me and him to be able to you know, have a mountain climbing experience together. How does a guy who's paralyzed from the waist down have a mountain climbing experience with his kid? 
painfully, slowly, by dragging himself by his hands, pulling his body up the side of a mountain. And I, I looked at this mountain, and it was like Mount Everest up there, and my dad was having us go up. It was probably a hill about the size of the ones across the road over there, but in my childhood mind, it was Everest, right? And dad is, you know, going up as far as he could, and he reached a point where he couldn't drag himself anymore, but he said to me, keep going, keep going. And so I went up about 20 feet, and I looked down at him, and he's looking at me like this, like his eyes are wide, he's got a smile on his face. And I'd keep going. I'd go a little further and look, and I'd see him. He's got his eyes wide. He's smiling. And, and that look, I just remembered the feeling of that look. It said, I'm happy with you. I delight in you. I enjoy you. I love you. <laughs> and there's something about this that I think every one of us needs a little bit more of, an experience with our Heavenly Father where we experience the light of his face, the look of the Father. And for some of us who never had a dad like I just described, and maybe the look was something terrifying, we have an opportunity for a redo, a reset of what it even means to have the, the look of the Father turning our way. And for thousands of years, our forebears in the Jewish community embraced this idea of the look of the Father and pronounced it as a blessing. And it's in Numbers chapter 6, verse 24, and it's this, this blessing that's repeated in synagogues all around the world for thousands of years now, but it's, it's, a, it's an expression of that hope that we have that the Father's face would turn toward us with love, with delight. Numbers six twenty four. I want you to read this with me out loud. Ready? Read it. Go. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. The look of the Father turning toward you. And you might think, oh, he wouldn't look at me like that, though, because the things that I've done. My only question for you would be, have you turned your life to Jesus and asked Jesus to forgive your sin? Because if you have, you are from that moment on in Christ. You're in Christ included in and accepted in God's beloved one and only son. And so you can have every expectation of this, of the father turning his face toward you with that look that says, I love you. I'm happy about you. I delight in you. Brennan Manning wrote a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. He's back in the 90s, and, and he's gone, you know, the way of all the earth now. But in, in, in his writing, he wrote about being in Ireland and in the countryside. He came upon, you know, an Irish farmer that was taking a break from his work in the fields, and he was just kind of, you know, sitting down by, or kneeling down by the side of his fields and praying, just praying, obviously just kind of praying. And, and the, there's this priest that walks by and sees the guy praying and waits for a pause in his prayers, but ends up just interrupting the guy, tapping him on the shoulder and saying, you must be really close with God. And the Irish farmer, you know, stopped his praying and he turned and he looked up at the guy and said, aye, he's very fond of me. <laughs> Remember how I said I was an actor? I, <laughs> I might have got cut from that program, but I still could do an accent now and then. Aye, he's very fond of me. And Simple little story, but I love it. I love the simplicity of the response of that farmer to be able to say, he's very fond of me. And we think about religion or a life of faith as us trying to love God. 
But it all stems from knowing first that we are loved by God. And to even be able to say, yeah, he, he's, he's really fond of me. And, and I want you to have the freedom to be able to know yourself that way. As someone whom God the Father is very fond of. All of the things that are on your list and mine of reasons why, no, he couldn't possibly be. Because God has eternally taken those things through Jesus and removed them. As far as the east is from the west. We live in a here and now time-bound experience where we're very close to those things still. But, but God lives outside of the time-bound experience. And from his eternal perspective, he sees you for who you are in Christ. In Christ. Christ the victor over the grave. Christ the perfect sacrifice for all. And he sees you covered by the atonement of Jesus. He is very fond of you. And maybe one of the best things you could do for your soul right now is to line up with that thought and even say it one time. Say, God is very fond of me. I want you to say it. Repeat it after me. God is very fond of me. <laughs> say it one more time. God is very fond of me. When you make a statement like that, you're staking a claim in the ground to say, the lies of the devil to accuse me are null and void. And the truth of what God says is my stake in the ground. He says I'm forgiven and redeemed, therefore I am. Therefore I can say, my God is fond of me. He's fond of you. We, we see the the beauty of God's face in Jesus. And this is the scripture I want you to land with me on. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. It says, God, who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so that we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Christ. You, you want to experience the light of God's face? Look no further than Jesus. And for for many of us, this is why we're Christians. Because we began to become aware that we can't fix ourselves. And we would, we would try if we could, but we come up short every time. And we realize that God was never asking us to try to fix ourselves, but to receive the gift of forgiveness through Jesus. And so for so many of us, the reason why we became, first became Christians is because we understood that we need that. We need the glory of God that you see in the face of Jesus, his willingness to forgive us. And we finally said yes, and we received the forgiveness, but then God said, but there's so much more to your life with me than just that. Let's do this. Let's go together. And we're growing. We're growing. We're growing even more. And there's a journey that we are on, and the, the technical word for it is the word sanctification, but you got to begin with the receiving of his gift of salvation. And, and you, you find it in the face of Jesus Christ, the full light of the glory of God. And I want to pray for you today that God would meet you in this place in a unique way. And that ultimately you would experience an encounter with God where you catch a glimpse of the sight of his face. Would you pray with me? Let's pray together. God, I pray that right now in this moment, you would allow us to experience your presence in a way that would change us like you changed Jacob. 
And God, I pray that uh, for some of us, we could step in, step in to the struggle. And where we thought we were supposed to just shrink back from it and sweep everything under the rug and candy coat everything. Thank you, God, that you showed up in the middle of the night with Jacob, ready to wrestle with him on the things that he needed to be wrestling through. And thank you, God, for what that means for us, that you're not asking us to sugarcoat everything and pretend it isn't a problem, or, but that you're willing to, to wrestle with us through it. And for some of you, I, just, I hope you would receive this today as a word of freedom, that God is saying, I'm willing to wrestle with you. And in fact, your willingness to wrestle with me over this stuff rather than sugarcoating it is you being Israel. You being what I've made you to be, one who would wrestle with the stuff that needs wrestling with, but keep on holding on to me, knowing that I'm the one where your blessing comes from. For someone else today, I'm praying that you would just wake up to the goodness of God that you can see in Jesus Christ. He's willing to forgive your sin. It's a gift, the gift of salvation, where our sin is forgiven and we receive the hope of eternal life, knowing that we'll go to heaven when we die, but also that we can live here and now with the empowering presence of God for increasing victory in this life. And, and this is salvation, it's a gift. But this gift is given, not forced. And the way you receive this gift is you repent, you turn from your sin, and you turn to Jesus, and you say, Jesus, would you forgive me and save me? And his answer is, done and done. What I've done on the cross completely covers your sin and what I've done by bursting forth from the grave opens the way to life for you.